cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is my right-hand man, Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, D.D. Perkins, CEO and co-founder of ProCana. Thanks for taking the time, D.D. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. I'm happy to be here. The first experience you had with the application process. For our listeners that are just unfamiliar with what that's like, can you kind of give them like behind-the-scenes look? Like, how does that work? What does it look like from a paper standpoint, like from a size standpoint? Can you kind of take us through that process? Sure. States are different. I mean, that's one of the tricky things. But if it's a competitive application process, I mean, it's grueling. Uh, You know, you have to have boots on the ground. You have to have finances. You have to have people securing real estate. Um, You have to have, you know, specialists coming up with security plans and safety plans. Many states require a full book of SOPs, standard operating procedures, just to put in your application. Not all. But um, and then you have to have people make sure your applications, which I mean, one application we put in literally was 900 pages with all the supporting documents. They're often in the hundreds. And, you know, they just have to be you have to address every regulatory requirement. You have to tell a story about why your company is worthy of getting the license, basically, how you're going to maintain compliance, what your culture is going to look like. It's just it's a big undertaking and it takes a team. And in most states, it takes a fair amount of capital just to get to the licensure gate. In your experience, from a compliance standpoint, is there one myth that's sometimes debunked more than the others? Certainly, everybody was trying to win. And, and they and because, like I said in the beginning, like for one of your facilities, you know, you'd be doing it this way and it would be a good solid product, right? But then you would hire a grower or a manufacturer that came out of another industry that, or maybe just, you know, and all of a sudden they brought in more sophisticated techniques. Okay, so now you're you're changing the way you're going to apply the next time, right? Everything is just getting more sophisticated and more sophisticating. I think there are two preconceptions about compliance and they're both true. One is that there are operators who will never care about it. And then there are the people that some of them are new to cannabis. Some of them came out of other regulated industries that they want to differentiate their brand on doing everything right. You know, they want their security protocols, their production, their, you know, really to be the best of the best. Both types of people honestly have very successful businesses. Obviously, I fall more in the compliance. So it's some people honestly care about it and some people don't. Do you think there's a semblance of trust with consumers now that just believe that there is this high standard that everyone adheres to just given the fact that they can purchase these products and understanding that other industries follow this and just just maybe a false sense of security when they purchase some of these products? Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I think, you know, some states don't require testing. In Maine, the state, you know, we're based in the new adult use regulations. They require testing, but medical doesn't. So, I mean, and, and I'm not going to take a stance on this, but, you know, you really have to trust your grower and, you know, you honestly don't know what's in there. How do we then, as an industry, kind of marry the standards between consumer education and then safety and accuracy of the industry? But also, like you were saying, don't put the craft growers out of space based on the cost. Like, how do we balance those two things together? I wish I had the answers. You know, I think it's, you know, we're, it's going to be trial and error where, you know, some states are going to overkill, some states are going to underkill, you know, the feds are going to, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's an easy solution, honestly, but I, you know, I do know the states that are going to be friendlier are going to have more vibrant 
you know, smaller companies in the space and companies that are really, really high standards, you know, they're going to have the, the, the big box cannabis companies. And yeah. um, so, you know, the regulations and, and the standards definitely have effect on who's playing. Hypothetically, eventually we'll get to federal legalization. We'll we'll institute one set of common standards throughout the United States, hopefully. At that time, everyone's going to have to then, I guess, essentially shuffle back into their cards, change everything they're essentially doing, adjust all their SOPs, all their policies, and kind of almost restart with a new set of rules and regulations. Is that kind of how it's going to work? Again, we don't really know, but I I sort of think, and I I think a lot of people agree that it's going to be more like alcohol. So there's state rights. The states have their basic uh, regulatory systems, and then the the federal regulations will sit on top of that, you know, so they will deal with maybe interstate commerce or, you know, how you're transporting cannabis or safety, you know, the FDA will, you know, so um, we think that it will just add one more layer, honestly, of top of what's going on. But most cannabis operators, if they're paying attention to the regs, they're always changing anyways. Yeah. They're, they're, it, it's not static. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a moving target, you know, not month to month, but often, you know, quarter to quarter, you know, year to year, things change. Is there one state that has more stringent regulation policies like than all the others? Or can you give us kind of a spectrum map of one state you think is really tighter with the regulations and then one on the other end that's a little more loose? Here's the other thing is you can have a lot of regulations, but if you don't enforce them, you know, it's so that's it. And that changes state to state, right? You can have all the regulations in the world, but if nobody's looking, half of the operators are probably not complying with everything, right? I mean, right. That's just the fact. So we're in a sort of a reset period right now. I mean, we're seeing a lot of fines coming out of Nevada. I mean, so, I mean, all of a sudden they're stepping up their enforcements. I know the Mass CCC is looking to expand their staff um, and, you know, we're seeing some some attention there, you know, and then there's some state that honestly, it's a really low bar. You know, if you get $2,000 in a pulse, you can operate a, a cannabis business, you know, so, and in California, that's like its own country, you know, you get the state, you get county, you get municipality. So, <laughs> they're all they're all a little different. Do you think that's why some of the big MSOs are interested in going there? Or do you think it's more of the, the maturation of that market? I think it's a lot of things. I mean, you know, I think it's regulations are heavy. You know, there's still a, uh, a vibrant uh, legacy market. Uh, you know, I just think it's complicated. So what's one cannabis compliance fact the average person would be shocked to learn? Inventory control. I mean, some states require daily, weekly inventory control, which is a monstrous task, you know, and that how closely some states are trying to control that whole seed to sale process. The thought of, you know, tracking something from the time it is seed to the time it is dispensed in a package is a little mind blowing. If you're in the industry, that's just the way it is. But if you actually think about it, it's intense. It's mind blowing. So, um, you know, yeah, I would say that the inventory control. When people are looking for best cannabis compliance practices, is there differences between MSOs, cultivators, and retails? Like how how would that work? If a if a large scale MSO would want to come to you and say, Hey, we need help with this, we're trying to get started, we want to revisit this so we can be ready for GMP, what would you recommend from best practice standpoint? I think just jump in, you know, whether and every company is going to be in a different place. You know, I mean, if you think about mitigating your risks, you know, you know what you do well, you know, probably where you got issues, you know, just jump in, figure out, you know, maybe you just start with auditing. You just take it, you evaluate, okay, how are the different departments doing? And, And then really just jump in. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you can sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? work harder, be willing to work harder than you've ever worked before. I mean, it's just, it takes a lot. And, uh, you know, just do the best you can, you know, just, just give it all every day, show up and leave it on the field. Didi, what do you think is the number one compliance issue that will change over the course of the next year 
that operators should be aware of and planning for. Enforcement. I think that I think you you know you you're really going to just have to be ready to to prove that your operation is compliant. You know, I don't know that there's any one thing that's going to change. I do think GMP standards are they're they're coming. You know, so if you're really a forward thinker, you might want to be moving down that path. So, but uh, you know, I think that compliance is now. 16 months ago, you know, a year and a half ago, it was, you know, if you talked about compliance, people glazed over. And now all of a sudden people are realizing that, um, you know, it's just a fact of life right now, I think. So just be ready. So Didi, for our listeners that want to get in touch, they want to learn more about Procana, where can they reach you? Um, our website, procana-usa.com. Uh, I'm always on LinkedIn, Didi Perkins. I, you know, definitely respond as much as I can. So um, yeah, happy to talk to anybody who's interested and, you know, wants to chat about compliance in the United States awesome. <laughs> or anywhere else, actually, for that matter. But, yeah, from a global yeah, standpoint, we can chat about that like a whole Yeah, other that's another conversation. God, that's hard. Thank you yeah. so much for your time, Didi. Thank you. I've enjoyed yeah. talking with you both. Have yeah. a good one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.